Father, thank you for those words that we just heard, extraordinary calling before us, uh, Lord, in these next uh, few moments, uh, we ask that you would inter- intervene in our lives, um, that it would be good to have our very hearts open and uh, your word um, searching deep within. Um, Lord, we need to be changed. We need the process of change to be real and vital to us. Um, and so I pray that you would help us to see um, how beautiful and glorious it is to, to change. Um, make, us, make us willing uh, participants in, in the change that you call us to. Uh, in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Uh, we're going to look at Ephesians 4 uh, rather briefly this morning, but um, I want to start off with a little bit of a story about my own life, and this will connect with verse 22 and 24. In case you're a really, really organized person and you want to know where on earth this uh, sermon is going, we're going to focus on verse 22 and 24, the idea of putting on or putting off and putting on. You can, if you see that in your worship folder there, you can circle that. That's the targeted area we are going to go for. As a kid, I grew up uh, in Southern California. The address was 436 Eucalyptus Drive, uh, Redlands, California. And um, so I'm a Southern California uh, kid, and I had a great neighborhood, a great, great upbringing. I continue to think about the, the rich, wonderful childhood I had, and I am a very fortunate person. Um, let me tell you a bit about my neighborhood. Uh, across the street uh, was a couple, a family named the Golfs, G-O-L-F, and their front yard was center field for baseball games. So when we played uh, baseball on our lawn, uh, home plate was on our lawn, the golf's front uh, lawn was center field. And to the right, uh, right and left fields were um, a street, Eucalyptus uh, Street was actually, that's where you played outfield there and you had to worry about cars. But um, the golf's house was there in center field. Now, if you were a baseball person, you know this is trouble to have someone's house part of your field. Um, and uh, more than once, and I don't uh, remember who the culprit was, but uh, if you really did hit a good shot, um, the golf's living room window was in trouble. And more than once, we broke it. And just think of spanking our gang and these little kids running around all excited and uh, terrified about what's going to happen. And I remember the golf's um, and the parents coming around, figuring out how we're going to pay for this and all that. And it was always interesting, all the, all the Kool-Aid sales that just started afterwards. That, but um, we, they were very gracious, very gracious people. And then down the road was a, an Italian family named the Sillers. And Mrs. Siller, at least twice a year, would open up her house, and the door would be open. And how we figured out what was going on is that this wonderful aroma was coming out of that doorway, and uh, she was making what was nicknamed pizzarellas, which is a thick of mozzarella cheese, thick slice of it, dropped uh, in batter and then dropped in deep-fried oil. And then uh, you have um, marinara sauce, right? And uh, so she would make a couple hundred of these for the neighborhood. And so um, we assumed we were invited, and... uh, 
I mean, we would just come running through there and have another pizzarella and then come on out and eat on the lawn usually. And uh, that was a great experience. And the word would get out in the neighborhood that pizzarellas were going on at Mrs. Siller's house. And then there was Mrs. Fulmer. Mrs. Fulmer, the Fulmers lived uh, right near our house. They had a huge uh, German shepherd, like twice the size of a normal German shepherd named Schultz. Schultz was the scariest looking thing like a bear, a massive uh, big bark. He'd never, never bit anybody. Uh, and we'd always lose footballs in Schultz, where Schultz's pin was, or Frisbees. And, and kids who didn't know the neighborhood very well uh, didn't know how, how he was just a big puppy. And so we'd scale the fence and j- run in there, and this, we were, looked tough, you know. But he, he was just a, a pushover. And the Fulmers would have us over, the neighbors, the neighbors, the Fulmers, uh, somewhere around Christmas Eve. And uh, that was sort of like going into the sanctuary of Mrs. Fulmer's uh, living room because it was all white, white curtains, white uh, carpet, white um, sofas. And I remember there were, for Christmas, white cookies. It was crazy. It was, everything was white. And here I, you know, and the risk of having children uh, running around in this, in this white, white room. Um, and I remember just the, the warm feeling I had as a kid growing up on Eucalyptus Drive. And if you'd asked me, because of all this neighborliness, this wonderful neighborliness, the the Thesans were up the street, and you could always, if you're building a a, a fort or building a a wagon or fixing your bike, the the Thesans had just thousands of tools, and you should go up there. And So it was just a great, great neighborhood. Our house, we contributed. We had a big pool. And then we had a billiard table inside. I had an early uh, upbringing in gambling. Uh, but um, <laughs> so we, uh, this neighborliness, neighborliness was characterized my, if you ask me as an eight-year-old kid, what, what does it mean to be a neighbor? Uh, I, uh, I would think about our neighbors. They, they embodied this beautiful, beautiful neighborliness about them. They practiced neighborliness. And one of the questions I have for us is sort of what does it take to do ministry? When you think about ministry, we've been kind of on that subject. We've kind of looked internally in the time we've had. We've sort of looked at temptation. Um, we've looked at Christ in the wilderness and sort of these internal issues that we, it's, it's, if we're going to be in ministry, we're always going to be dealing with our stuff, our, our issues, our, and, and our baggage. Uh, but we're... We've got to be intentional. We talked last week about the intentional idea of disengaging. If you're just too busy, if you're, if you're running the Christian life and you're not really happy and you're not commending it to other people, you've got to disen- there's part of this discipline of the Christian life of disengaging, uh, refueling, finding new reasons to care about the marathon race that you're running, to commend running well to other people and figure out how to re- keep your reserves going. And... Um, when Paul is talking about the Christian life, he is using a, a couple of different metaphors in Ephesians 4. Uh, if you just meditated on Ephesians 4, you would uh, find great resources for understanding the Christian life. And when Paul tells the Ephesians up front, he says, look, here is the calling that is, has been given to you. And you, Ephesians 4.1, you are to walk worthy, walk worthy of that calling. And, and I'm going to uh, suggest to you that the walking of the Christian life takes practice. You're practicing the Christian life right now. You're, you're 
exhibiting a, a discipline. If you are an introvert by nature, you are really disciplined this morning because you might want to just be by yourself this morning. It's, and you're practicing the disengagement, uh, the discipline of disengagement, or engagement, I should say, excuse me, the, the discipline of engagement. Now, if you're an extrovert this morning, you're not exercising any discipline at all. You're just here, and uh, you just love gatherings and, 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 and people. Now, you might have to in, uh, engage in the discipline of disengagement and uh, spend some time quietly uh, with yourself to catch up with yourself. But doing ministry, how does one do ministry? And I'm going to suggest to you, like my neighbors growing up, they did neighborly things. That's how I got to know neighborliness. Um, I would suggest to, you, to, to all of us is that uh, doing ministry uh, has a great deal to do with relational um, <clears throat> connection, how we are coming across as a person. Uh, that is a large, a, a large extent uh, what ministry really is. It is showing forth uh, qualities, Christ-like qualities. If you, uh, if you want to know what it's like to do ministry, it is to have these lovely qualities that are manifested in you. Now, drop down to uh, Ephesians 4.22, and notice here the Apostle Paul is talking about the old self. Look at verse 22. To, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and then this uh, statement, and is corrupt. Uh, notice that. It's just corrupt uh, through deceitful desires. You now, put off the old self. The metaphor there is of changing clothes. Uh, the Christian life is like changing clothes. And then... Verse 23, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on, you can might circle that, put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Beautiful qualities are to be put on. I remember we lived in Michigan uh, for uh, the early 90s and our oldest daughter, Aubrey, was... Uh, a young young girl. She's maybe uh, well. She was bo- uh, born in Florida, but uh, she took uh, her first uh, steps, I believe it was, in uh, in Michigan, and uh, or just prior to that. And uh, she was. We'd get ready for the winter, uh, ex- experiencing winter outside in Michigan. They have that up there, and uh, you need to bundle up multiple layers of clothes. You spend all this time getting the the child ready for. Uh, sledding or whatever you're doing, and uh, then they start crying, and, and then, then all that effort. Now they go back inside, and but they sort of look like the Pillsbury Doughboy, right? And just stacked with clothes, right? Putting uh, putting on what you need. Well, uh, what Paul is doing here is he's describing how how ugly those old clothes are. So from verses 17 all the way down to verse 32, you can see a, a, a description of the old clothes and a, a contrast to, uh, of those old clothes with the new clothes. And it, it's really summarized in the new clothes are really summarized in beautiful humility, patience, 
graciousness, um, timeliness in, in handling anger. Um, there's just a beautiful relational quality to the new clothes. And the old clothes have a terribly uh, uh, awful kind of quality relationally. Uh, the old clothes are alienating, uh, hard, uh, not, not fun at all. And Paul describes these old clothes as, as, as part of, of a life of ignorance. Uh, it's kind of a, a rude word, isn't it? Ignorance. But look at, look at verse 18. They are darkened, speaking of the non-believing Gentile world. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the, and there's the, the word, ignorance that is in them. And the idea here is this, is that this lifestyle... Uh, can include sensuality, can include uh, just uh, slander, can include malice, this lifestyle of just difficult, terrible things. This lifestyle is perpetuated by the belief that at some point this is really going to work for me. They're doubling down on darkness. Doubling down on sin, rebellion, I know it's hard, it's difficult, um, uh, you know, I, I, I've alienated people, but you know what, at some point, it's going to work for me. At some point, it's all going to come together and my life will be, will be happy. And that's what Paul describes as ignorance. It is never going to lead to happiness. It is going to be a futile attempt at Human flourishing. The old clothes are a clothes are a darkened mind, a darkened worldview. Old clothes are a hardness of heart. They are de- uh, deceitful desires, and and it goes on here. Verse twenty five. Put away falsehood. Put away sinful anger. Verse twenty six. Uh, handle anger in such a way that the sun is not settling before your anger is, is dealt with. The, the pattern of, of wearing grudges, uh, bearing grudges, is, is characteristic of this old way of living. Um, uh, old clothes uh, include spiritual disregard, like Satan isn't real. Uh, you know, and Paul warns them. He says, "Do not give the devil an opportunity through sinful anger." Verse twenty-seven. In the old way of thinking, it's like, "Oh, what are you talking about? There's a devil, uh, uh, some lord over the darkness, and and working in my my motivations and heart and stuff." Don't give the devil an opportunity. Speaking that, really speaking to Christians, a cavalier attitude. This garment really doesn't stink. <clears throat> It isn't going to affect me or affect other people. No, that changes. The old clothes of, of believing, verse 28, of people who were thieves, believing you had a right to people's stuff. The old clothes of corrupting, tearing down talk. Um, the old clothes of where the Holy Spirit is not regarded or cared about. In verse 31, the old clothes of bitterness, wrath, anger, slander, clamor, uh, it, malice. Do you think the Apostle Paul wanted to make sure the Ephesians got it? 
It's a pile. It's a big pile of old clothes. And our and the response of, of layering these clothes upon each other, the response is exactly what you might be feeling right now. Wow, is it really that bad? Yeah, it is. It's really that bad. And our response should be, oh, let's get rid of this stuff. These are deep, anti-relational patterns that must be discarded. So put them off now and put on the new self. And I'm going to suggest to you that, uh, and, and others have, have written about this, and this has been, a, been a, an intriguing uh, re- renewal of this very subject. We, we learn how to put off and learn how to put on through practice. Um, that may not be the most insightful thing. You say, well, I came to church to learn that. Um, you learn how to play golf, um, not so much by reading about it, though that might be helpful. You practice golf. Um, you learn how to be a doctor, not by just attending a, a school. Well, that very helpful, very insightful. But you actually have a practice. Are you all tracking with me? Hey, uh, this is not rocket science. Uh, have you ever noticed uh, when people are jumping out of uh, airplanes and they have a parachute on? That's always a good idea. And, uh, and, and, and you notice how those who are experienced at it are just like, just floating and like, hey, man, this is the coolest thing in the world, man. How's it going? And they're, am I the only one? You see this? You see this? And you, and you just, and, and they've, just, they've done this a thousand times. They're just, just gliding out and just, you know, and, and, and they're not even aware that they're falling. It's just a beautiful, they're at peace, and, right? Practice. That's practice. The average baseball hit by a major league player at the plate, the average speed of that baseball is 91 miles an hour. And you're going to try and catch that, you need practice. <laughs> Derek Jeter, New York Yankees, leans into it, moves toward it, seen it before, been there, done that. Second nature. Effortless practice. Malcolm Gladwell, uh, the popular writer, it just takes like a, a Steve Jobs or Bill Gates. All you got to know is what was going on as they're tinkering around in their garages in the 70s. 10,000 hours. 10,000 hours hanging around computers. And you can head up a big computer firm. You can do it. Practice. You know it inside and out. And so, what's the Apostle Paul commending to the, to the Ephesians? Man, you got a lot of practice needed because you got a lot of stuff to turn over and to put off. And it takes practice. Because, you know, when you're wearing those old clothes, you might need other people to say, hey, uh, you're a little out of fashion here. You're a little out of date. You're, that isn't working for you. And that doesn't work among God's people. And you're going to have to practice a bit harder or a little bit more faith. You're going to have to discard that. It doesn't work. One time I took a, a lesson in golf. Uh, those of you who played golf with me are probably surprised. Um, but I took a lesson from a pro golfer. And um, 
Marianne had found this thing for me and this kind of neat package. And so I showed up at this country club. This is on the mainland. And there was about 7 in the morning, and I was really excited about this. And the man that was very interesting, he uh, met me, and he said, hey, the other guys are supposed to be, I think, like a total of four people. And the other three didn't show. It was myself and this other guy. And uh, so I thought for sure we would go immediately out to go hit balls. And he took me inside a country club, a restaurant, where no one was there. It was just quiet. And he handed me a yellow pad, and he had a yellow pad, and he had a few little handouts. And I thought, we're going to play golf. What are, we, what are we doing here? Learning about restaurants? And uh, he, he said, uh, so uh, you want to play golf. Uh, how good do you want to be? I never thought of that. I said, I mean, I, what do you want to do with this? Do you want to just like, play four times a year and not embarrass yourself? Do you want to just, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, I ask that of you um, in the Christian life. How good do you want to get? Really? All these wonderful qualities, these graces, do you want to engage in practicing them so you, you get better at it? Or are you just kind of stuck on the golf course, sort of hitting a few balls and can't wait to get home? You don't write this, you do not write this to Christians unless there could be some hardness of heart in them where they just don't get it. How good do you want to get? And part of that means I want to take a look at what it means to commend Christ to other people. To be involved in ministry is to commend Christ to other people, and that means that there's a qualitative uh, aspect to that. And uh, I want to commend you because you are learning and you are practicing the Christian faith, and learning to practice it, I would say, in worship. Primarily, you are discarding the old self. It's already taken place in some way or in some fashion in your mind already. Acts 2 uh, describes the early practice of the church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. That was the rhythm. That was the practice. It became second nature. One uh, beautiful practice described by the apostle Paul where he says, let no, verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up. That takes practice. There are instincts in us, in the way we use our words, that need to be practiced out of us. There is an impulsive way of speech patterns. Um, there is a, there's a, um, a disapproval of others that may rise up in you. And in, in a nanosecond, your mouth is engaged in a, expressing this disapproval. Beautiful statement of the new clothes. 
No corrupting talk, but only such as is good for building up. Let that become a second nature in you. It's like those neighbors I grew up with. Of course we're going to let the kids in. I'm a neighbor. See? And people pick up and they sense and they embrace the Christian life. They, they experience it before they trust in Jesus. I, I, I was given an embodied experience in neighborliness before I could even spell the word. And that's that sense that, that God does and in our midst. It's, it's something God does. These new clothes we put on, this grace, this humility, this gentleness, this extraordinary quality. This is what God does in our midst. And beyond that, we cannot convert anyone. We can't do anything but these qualities of life become second nature to us. And the gift God gives us is worship. He gives us fellowship. He gives us circumstances together where, where the old self and the old clothes feel appealing. But now we put on new practices and we are no, no longer dictated by that old, former way of life. Where will you ever hear, and then I'm going to wrap this up, where will you ever hear about a former way of life? Listen to that. Paul says your former way of life, all the practices, all the things that you engaged in. You go to a sophisticated university, they're never going to refer to, to your former way of life. Uh, you listen to a talk show, they're never going to refer to your former way of life. Just be true to yourself. Uh, you listen to a pop song, they're never going to refer to your former way of life. It'll just say, follow, just, just follow your heart. In what context does your former way of life become inescapably real to you? Mm, I can smell the stink of it. I, 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 I can, I'm feeling I'm feeling the wrong of it. Where and why is that important? It's important because that's what Christ came after. That you would discard that former way of life and put on these beautiful new qualities. These beautiful qualities of speech and, and, and the qualities of, of presence that are gracious and, and humble. How does a young boy learn to be neighborly by neighbors. How does someone learn what, it li- what it's like to be a Christian from Christians? And that may be unbelievably obvious, but may God use this text to say, oh, I get it. This is why Christ came for me that I'd put on new clothes, relational, welcoming, empathizing, humbling ways of being. And may God richly bless us as we practice these things. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this call to practice a new life. 
Thank you for my friends this morning who let me practice in front of them. Help me to deeply appreciate the new clothes I am to wear. Thank you for being with us in the Lord's Supper now. Uh, May Christ's presence be so real that we want to put him on. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, Nathaniel, lead us now, brother. Thank you. In 1 Corinthians 15, 